Burns and Gambo, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Three o'clock hour of the Burns and Gambo show. Happy Wednesday to you. We're live from the Yachin Community Studios. It was good enough to beat the Minnesota Timberwolves on a Tuesday night in November. Is it going to be good enough to beat somebody in a best-of-seven series in April? It's a great question. I mean, what they're trying to do is a little bit different. Like, we've always... Look, the philosophy is always your best play in the playoffs. Your best players have to play well for you to win, and you're not going to win. What, are the, what, what the Suns did last night is they won a game where their best players didn't play well. Devin Booker did not have a great game. He was off. He was in foul trouble. I mean, he picked up his fifth foul in that fourth quarter. He went to the bench, and he didn't come back in. About 24 seconds were left in the game. So, and... And they didn't have to bring them back, but I would think it was free throw shooting and substitutions and, and just making sure that you, you got the win. But what they did last night is they won a game where their best players did not play very well. Chris Paul had a good game, but not a, like he didn't score the basketball very well. And Devin Booker was off. His shot was off. He didn't have a great game, and they won. Can you do that in the playoffs? I don't know. But the philosophy has always been like, okay, how are the Suns going to win? Well, Chris Paul and Devin Booker have to play great. It doesn't matter what, what JaVel McGee does. It doesn't matter what Torrey Craig does. Like, it's like a little bit, but for the most part, th- those guys have to play great and you win. That's always been the way of the NBA, always. Best players have to play well. Can the Suns win a series if their best players aren't playing well in a couple of those games? Now, you're never going to have, like, it's stupid to say you play a seven game series and Devin Booker and Chris Paul are both terrible and you win. You're not going to win. You're right. But what you're looking at is can you win a game? Can you win two games if those guys are off? Can you win a couple of games? Now, the Mavericks won because Luka Doncic was great. And the Suns lost because Devin Booker and Chris Paul weren't. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, this year, with, the, with, the, with the, the additional scoring load that Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, and others, maybe Jock Landell, may take, does that take some of the pressure off of those guys to say, hey, listen, if you're off... We're not going to lose. We can still win. Yeah, I, I mean, I want to. I want to find out because they're kind of they're kind of testing that theory. I think they want to find out too, and I think that's in part what you're seeing happen in these games. I mean, here Devin Booker last night. He played 30 minutes. He took 18 shots. He made six of them. Uh, he was two of seven from distance. He had 18 points, five assists, five fouls. He was battling that for a lot of the second half. He did not play well. He had a couple turnovers. He did not play well. No. He did not shoot the ball well. He was largely unimpactful in that game. Chris Paul, I'll give it for Chris Paul. He In the fourth quarter, I thought that was almost like vintage Chris Paul. Maybe not quite all the way vintage Chris Paul, but the, the way we're accustomed to seeing Chris take games over in in you know crunch time, clutch time minutes, yeah. I thought we saw some real flashes of that from Chris. So I'll put him in a slightly different category. He still can't hit the three. No. He's so really he, the the only one he made was during that fourth quarter That's run. It. He was over he was over four, four going, going, going into that. Five. Yeah. His, yeah. his shooting percentage at three all season long. His shooting percentage is about like twenty two percent. It's bad. Look, I I think it's easy to say this because he had twenty nine points. I think the answer to this question is probably going to be Cam Johnson. He's there to score. Right, like he's you, we, we we already saw not it last there to night. Rebound. We already know he's definitely not there to rebound and defense. Uh, we'll see. He's there to score. I mean, to the point where he was joking after the game, man. I passed up a look off of a little curl route, and everybody got on me like, "Dude, shoot that, shoot that." And we even heard that last year when he came on to shoot more. He needs to shoot more. I think when Da comes back, 
I think he's the other guy that it becomes imperative. We need you to be more of a scorer, all right? We're, we're going to ask you to score more. But I think Cam's a little different because Cam's not as reliant on others to set him up, right? He's not as reliant as D.A. to set him up. He can get his own shot a little bit he's more not than the big the man can. That those, you're not going to be – a team in the playoffs is not going to be like, we're trapping Devin Booker and it's really well, working really well, but Cam Johnson's going off. Let's trap Cam Johnson and leave Devin Booker alone. No, they're going to live and die with Cam Cam Johnson beating them. Yep. So you're not going to see a defense. If they can take Chris, Chris Paul or Devin Booker out of the game, they're going to do that. And they're not going to switch because Mikhail Bridges is having a good game. Like that, they would rather lose that way. Like if those guys beat us, so be it. But we're not going to let Devin Booker go for 40. We're not going to let Chris Paul dominate. The, so it, that's what's going to. You're not going to see the same defenses because you're Cam Johnson and Mikael Bridges. Here's the thing: it's a total cop out answer, but I'll say it anyway. The good news for the Suns: they've played seven games. I mean, we're not even we're not even ten percent of the way through the season no, yet, but, right? But are you not seeing starting to see some oh, patterns? No, no, that's what I mean. They've got time to practice this. Yes, right. A that, lot, that, that's kind of what I mean. They've got a lot of time to practice this and figure this out and tinker with things a little bit and figure out. Other alternative scores to their main guys. So on nights when they're trapping Devin Booker, what do they do? On nights when Chris Paul's shot isn't falling, what they do? Because we talked about this in the first hour of the show. We all remember last year's playoffs. Devin Booker was eliminated from the game by the Dallas Mavericks. Chris Paul did not have an answer, and the Suns were cooked. They had nobody else on the floor that could provide reasonable scoring to keep them in these games. They're clearly trying to work on that early in the season. Clearly. Cam, shoot. Mikel, curl to the rim. Drive, finish, attack. Be more of an offensive threat. And the only reason I'm pointing out how many games they've played is that they've got time to keep practicing this and keep working on it. Because you know what? I don't know if Kevin Durant's walking in that door. I don't know if a big trade is walking through that door. I don't know if James Jones is going to do anything. To sh- this might be the team as we know it, outside of a J trade who brings in you know whatever. That improvement might have to come from within, and it's something we're going to have to watch all year long. You go down to the you go to the playoffs last year. First game against New Orleans, Paul led the team in scoring. Then Booker, then Aiton, then Aiton, then Bridges. In a game against New Orleans, he had thirty-one points in that game. Was that when Booker was hurt? He yeah, yeah Booker yes. had the hamstring. Booker yeah. did not play, so Booker didn't play, and that's when he led the team in scoring. And then there was one game in which Cam Johnson led the team in scoring, and that was the final game against the Dallas Mavericks. Cam Johnson had twelve points. The Suns lost by forty. Like it was like that didn't matter. Yeah, but your leading scorers were Aiton. Booker, Jay Crowder actually led scoring in, in, a, in one of the losses. Then Booker and Booker again. So Booker led the team in scoring three times against the Mavs. Aiton did it twice. And in the final game, Cam Johnson had 12 points and he led the team in scoring. But the point is that they are very reliant on Booker and Paul. And to a certain extent, if you look at it, DeAndre Aiton scoring-wise, and that can continue. Yeah. But man, if Cam and Mikhail step up, that's going to be huge for them. Look, let's get right down to it. We're talking about Chris, right? I mean, if we're if we're if we're really being honest about, we're we're talking about Chris Paul, Devin Booker should be fine, will be fine, is one of the premier scorers in this league, and and he's a guy that that when I say that, I understand there are game plans that can be designed to eliminate him from the equation. Dallas did it, but. 
Chris, we're very worried that he's, what was the comp I saw last night on Twitter, that he's turned into Ricky Rubio. Uh, thank you, Dave King huh. from Bright Side of the Sun. We that, said that the other that, day. That, yeah. he's, that he's become Ricky Rubio. That he's he's not going to shoot and he's not going to score that much, but he still sees the floor with an incredible vision of an elite point guard. He just can't be counted on to score anymore. I, I think you can still count on Devin Booker to be a scorer for you, obviously, but Chris Paul, that's who we're talking about here because I don't know what they're going to get. Devin from Booker him. was 0 for 4 and 0 for 4 in the last two games against the Mavericks in three point range. He was 6 for 17 and he was 3 for 14. So he was 9 for 31 Who's shooting a the bigger ball. wild for card eight. for the Suns. Devin Booker or Chris Paul when it comes to scoring the basketball. That's ultimately my point. Oh, it's Paul. That's. That's all but, I'm but, saying. But the, That's all I'm saying. No, and I, I don't disagree. With you. I'm saying like, but if you if Booker has those type of games, oh, I understand. Like yeah. he did in Game Six and Somebody's Seven, got to pick up the slack. Yeah. Can you win if he gets shut down like that? Yeah. Can you win? Yeah, no, I agree. I, I I don't know the answer to that question. I don't. And what but it we, seems like they're trying to find out. It does right? seem like they're trying to find out. I, I'm just saying I, that to me is less of a wild card. Chris Paul is the wild card here. Chris yeah. Paul is the I have no idea what he's going to be this year when it comes to that part of his game. The scoring part. The scoring part. Yeah, the no pa- idea. The passing, I think, will be just fine. When we come back here on the Burns and Gambo show, their preseason win total over under was five and a half. They could go over that this weekend, and with it comes a change in expectations. That's next on the Burns and Gambo Show. Burns and Gambo, afternoons on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. All right, back here with you on the Burns and Gambo Show on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. We've said it once, we've said it a million times. Expectations always kind of color how you think about teams that you root for, right? Like you go into a season, Diamondbacks, for example. Nobody expected the Diamondbacks to be anything this year. They were a pleasant surprise. They were pleasantly competitive in a lot of their games. The young guys, we watched them with a great degree of interest because we knew they were the future and we were excited about them. And and I even got a tweet from a listener who was bothered, Gambo, by how excited we would get about the young guys for the Diamondbacks because the season was just so bad. And I wanted to respond and we're like, well, it's because we had no expectations for the Diamondbacks, right? We we didn't think they were going right. to be good. We're with the Suns, our expectation. Remember the remember the year they played, made it to the finals, and you know we started off like hoping they'd be like the sixth seed and mm-hmm. maybe avoid the play-in game, and all of a sudden it was like, well, like you know, at some point your expectations change once you realize your team is good. Yes, and then you're like, okay, oh. now it's like last season the expectations were look NBA championship or bust. Anything less is a failure. Cardinals are a perfect example of that. From the other side, last year they start 7-0, and 10-2. We're changing our expectations of them yeah. along the way. Along the way. You know, at some point you go, okay, it's not just good enough to make the playoffs you gotta anymore. you got to win a game. You're 7-0. You're 10-2. you got to win a game. got to win at least a game in the playoffs. You know, and, and that's just life. That's life as a sports fan. They're going through exactly the same thing in Seattle right now. And, and I, I love this story that you sent because I think it's, I think this is what it is to be a sports fan. You take a team like Seattle. Zero expectations. They're over, Zero. They're over under this year was five and a half wins, right? They, they could match that with, they could pass that with a win this week. There were zero expectations. Traded Russell Wilson. Yeah. We're going to go with Geno Smith. Yeah. Like, 
you know, journeyman guy who was on four different teams in four years. Yeah, the expectations were really whether you were going to be picking a quarterback in the first five picks of the draft next year. But at some point, whether it was the Suns of two years ago, whether the Cardinals of a year ago, or the Seahawks this year, if you're a fan of that team, your expectations change. Yeah. You put more weight on them. And you go, okay, hey, it was, you know, we're not taking it for granted or anything, but now that you're actually good, go be good. It's, it's not just good enough that you're going to win a bunch of games we didn't expect you to. We now have the expectations of you succeeding in the postseason, and that's when things start to change a little bit as a fan. Yeah, and I think that you start to look at it now and you start to be like, okay, after they beat the Giants and they got to 5-3, and three, their chances of making the playoffs shot up to about 50% from 33. So now you start to look at it and like, okay, anything less from the playoff than a playoffs for Seattle is going to be a failure. You're five and three. There's nine games left. You got to win four of those nine. You go four and five. You got nine wins. You're very likely in the playoffs at nine and eight. You're very likely in division winner, a wild card. You'll, you'll be in. So the expectations for a team that's five and three is to win at least four games and get in the playoffs. Now, I don't know, you know, if the, the expectations, do they have to win in the playoffs? Not yet. Like, but the ex, like if the Seattle Seahawks not do yet. not make the playoffs. That's a collapse. Yes. You're in first place. We're in November now. This isn't September. We're in November. You're in first place. Five and three. Your odds of making the playoffs are pretty high. you got to close that out and you've got to get there. Well, just be on the record and be on the odds. It's just an eye test thing, right? Seattle looks good. They look really good. They're, they, you, know, yeah. you know, the Cardinals look good they, until they weren't. But Car- the, Seattle can get a play call in and no problem with no problem. <laughs> Just ask Brock Heward. Yeah. He's more than happy to brag about the fact how they have no problem getting their play calls in up there in Seattle. But that's my, and that's why I liked about the story. The headline kind of said it all. Will eventual expectations spoil the fun of the Seahawks' surprising success? And it, it mm. yeah, it, you get to that point. Is it a, you know, like you, you, you want the season to be a success, but it can also be a failure. Yeah. Like right now in Seattle, it's fun. Oh my gosh, this team's great. Everybody thought we were going to suck. Gino's awesome. Pete Carroll knows exactly what he's doing and ha ha, Russell Wilson and the Broncos suck and we got all their draft picks for the next decade, right? It's all it's all fun. But a couple more weeks of this, and it does morph into expectations. We lived this a year ago. We experienced this with the Cardinals. And it does take a lot of the fun out of it, especially when those expectations are being met. You're 10-2, and and you've got the best record in the NFC by two whole games, as the Cardinals did in December. All right, it becomes less about fun and more about, all right, what do you... What are you guys going to do when it matters? Right. You know, what do you, and that's, that can rob some of the fun out of it. That can take some of the joy away from watching a team like the Seahawks because you do. You replace yeah. the fun with expectations. No, right now they're one of the surprise teams in the NFL. Okay. Shockingly good. Uh, defense has played a lot better. I mean, I was even looking at a story today on the, um, just the Seahawks are finally getting the recognition they deserve. And they go through all of the, what ESPN said about them, what the Athletics said about them, what NBC Sports said about them, what CBS Sports said about them. CBS Sports, it's time to believe they have a real shot to be a playoff team. They beat the Giants with a big offensive day, which is a change and a good sign. You just NBC Sports and a dominant win over the Giants. The Seahawks prove what they have going on is for real, but can it be sustained for 17 games and into the playoffs? Everybody's starting to mention that word playoffs with Seattle when you're 5-3 and three and you're in first place. You've won three straight games and you've got a lead in the division and you're playing well. Yeah, I mean everybody's recognizing that you were a surprise team, that you're a biggest surprise but you're 100% right. It is, there is going to be a point where like, okay, like it's just getting to the playoffs enough 
Is that just enough? Now, maybe some people say, of course, that's a successful season. They were supposed to be one of the five, five worst teams. If they get into the playoffs as a wild card team and lose in the first game, it's still a success. Yeah. But it really depends on what you do in these final games. What if you're an 11 win team? I was going to say, win a few more games, and it's not going to be enough to get into the playoffs. It's just not. Because we were there last year. And, we were there. And, honest, and also, too, think about that city, that team. They've had no problem making the playoffs for the most part the last six or seven years. It's when they get there, they don't go very far, right? So that that market's been very spoiled by really good football for the last they, 10 they years. They two Super Bowls. I know, but, but after go look at their playoff record after, after the, they lost yeah. the second Super Bowl. No, perennial playoff team that doesn't go far. Yep. They should, they, I think they've won maybe one playoff game since then. They go. They go all the time. They went yeah. all the time under Russ and, and Pete. They just weren't able to do much when they got there. So it'll, it'll change. And, and it, we, we know it firsthand. I think Seattle, I, I look, I think it's a cautionary tale for every team for whether it's the Giants, whether it's the Seahawks, whether it's the Vikings. You go back and look at last year's standings, man, there are some teams that got off to good starts and it just didn't last. And it wasn't just the Cardinals either. There were plenty of teams last year that got off to good starts and then just couldn't sustain it. And Seattle seems to be one of those teams. I do think, though, to your point, it really is a validation of Seattle, and we talked about this yesterday, of Pete Carroll in general. For the last couple of years, Pete's been getting pretty, is disrespected the right word? I don't know, but a lot of people were thinking, it's Russ, it's not you. <laughs> you know, like, okay, old man. 71, you know, games passed you games by. Games passed you by. This is the game today. This is how the NFL works today. And Pete Carroll is owed a victory lap on this one. And certainly the oh, organization is for, oh yeah, big time, for selling on Russ Wilson when they did, for yeah. getting what they got for Russell Wilson when they did. Yeah, they've set themselves up nice for the future, too, with all these draft picks. And uh, Now, as, as long as Gino's the real deal. Because if this is the... Like this could be a one year fluke. I don't know. But um, you know, if Gino's legitimately a good quarterback and he's gonna be a good quarterback for the next five years, they they'll be go be they'll be back to being a perennial playoff team. Yeah, they will. Uh and right now they've got the Broncos pick, which is the seventh in the draft. That might even get better when it's all said and done. We'll see. When we come back here on the Burns and Gambo show, time for our weekly visit with the general manager of the Phoenix Suns coming off a big win last night against Minnesota. James Jones will join us here on Arizona. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. State of the Suns, driven by Sonic Drive-In. Mmm, Sonic. Burns and Gambo take you inside the Suns front office and talk with a key decision maker. Welcome back to the Burns and Gambo show here on Arizona Sports. The local sports leader, Phoenix Suns, win last night over the Minnesota Timberwolves. And it's Wednesday and it's 3.30, which means it is time for our weekly visit with the general manager of the Suns, James Jones, who joins us here on the Burns and Gambo show. James, once again, congratulations on the win last night for the organization and the continued success. It's been a great start to the season so far. No, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Last night was really good for us. I'm looking forward to continuing this momentum going forward. Uh, it was a great win. I, I can't wait to talk about it. But I want to ask you, this this 6-1 and one start, you guys have beaten Dallas. You've beaten Golden State. You beat Minnesota. You beat the Clippers. Is there anything that surprises you about the way the team has played in this 6-1 and one start? I mean, no. I mean, I think uh, for us, collectively as a group, we've been – you know, we've been through this situation before. Our top five guys, 
they've been playing well together, and uh, they've they've just continued to do the things that we did last regular season. Um, but you know, our bench has been great, um, and, and Devin's been phenomenal. You know, you talk about Cam and Mikel. Uh, those guys have been been exceptional early, and, and they've, they've been really driving us to the this, this success that we've had so far. I, I was thinking a lot in watching the game last night about Chris and the assists and, and the lack of turnovers and how well he's passing the ball. And you know, it's kind of like a boxer with a, with with a, a good strong punch. It's not going to leave you. Chris's ability to see the floor and his basketball IQ is never going to leave him. Do you think that in some ways that you know not having to rely on him as a scorer can prolong his career a little bit because he's playing such at such a high level passing the basketball I mean I, I, maybe I mean I know a lot of a lot of it is about a lot of the conversation stems around Chris and prolonging what he does and you know how he changes and how the the early season um, like change in his his workload may impact his long term those are all unknowns what I do know is that you know if you look at how our team's been performing, you know, he's adjusting and his adjustment has allowed those guys to be better. And so as long as you win in this league, you, you continue to thrive and, and you stick around for a long time. Um, so how he continues to drive us towards wins would determine how long he plays and, 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 and what he does going forward. That being said about Chris, I, I was also thinking about him watching the game last night and it felt like from about the seven minute mark of the fourth quarter on till about a minute left that that was in many ways everything we've come to expect from Chris the assists the shots was that was that sort of that fourth quarter Chris performance maybe even a version of it that we've come to sort of expect around here these last couple of years that's that's Chris in a nutshell doing whatever it takes to to help the team win and you know I, I'm just I'm just glad that you know you get a chance to see those those glimpses of him uh, because it's just the narrative from uh, being about his age all the time. I mean, that's the, the topic people continue to talk about. Um, what I think people forget is like when he needs to do it, he's demonstrated time and time again he can do it. So we're just happy that he's able to make this adjustment and, and fuel our team and, and push our younger guys, uh, namely – you know, like I said, Mikael and Cam to, to higher heights. Yeah, and that's and that was the other thing, obviously, that stood out from last night was the performance of the Twins and specifically the performance of Cam. I, it, easy to say it after he scores 29 points, but is that sort of what you envisioned when you elevated him to the starting lineup, when you and Monty elevated him to the starting lineup is nights like last night where he's picking up some of that scoring load? Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, with greater opportunity, you, you expect... Um, better performances and, and cam is has grown every year and, and when he's been given opportunities he responded and last night was the ideal opportunity you know it was a situation where he's playing against two really uh good front court players Carl Anthony towns all-star uh force in, in this league um and the expectation would be that he would struggle but i think he showed people that he's he's a a, a better basketball player um than people give him credit for I'm always fascinated by by the way you build a team. Considering that you played on successful teams that were driven by superstars and combination of superstars, you're building a team that can win without having two or three superstars. That can have one superstar and and a great bench and be better than teams with your third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh best uh, seventh player. How did that philosophy come into play? When did you realize that you could win that way in the NBA? Well, I mean, if, if 
you know, no disrespect to the players in the NBA, they're only a handful, they're a limited number of true superstars. Yet everyone tries to pursue and, and turn players into superstars, and it's just not possible. You know, just there's just not enough of them around. So the only alternative is to build a really good team around your superstar or superstars or your star players. Um, you know, there are really good players in this league who we don't consider superstars for whatever reason, uh, but they get the job done and they lead their teams to victories and, and they contribute to winning. So my thought has always been. If you don't have that guy, which everyone doesn't, have those guys, the guys that can win games and can win at a high level consistently. What's what's the downfall to build? Is there any downfall to building a team that way? Is there anything that, hey, we, we can only go so far because the team doesn't have the two or three star players? I mean, when you, it's a, a game of competition. If you eventually run into a team that has better players and they are the better team, then, like, what is your other alternative to go pursue those guys or try to manufacture it or try to turn someone who's not that into that? Um, it's a, the performance is bounded, and the availability of players in this league who can perform at that level is bounded as well. So you do the best you can with what you have. You try to augment it, but ultimately, um, you put your best foot forward. You try to develop your players to be um, a better collective and, and, and better than the individuals that they play against. So you want to build a better team um, because I believe a better team, a team of better players will be the best singular or individuals uh, night in and night out. James Jones, our guest here on the Burns and Gambo Show for his weekly visit with us coming off the Suns' win against Minnesota last night. DeAndre Eaton, the, the, the initial report was maybe a week or so, saw him getting some work in before the game. Uh, any update on when he might be available to you, James? Uh, he, we're still the same timeline. He's trending in the right direction. and We're hopeful that a couple days of, uh, of good, you know, good movement will get him back. But you know, if he could be back this weekend, that'd be great for us. Uh, otherwise, we're just going to take our time and, and make sure that he's right when he comes back. How much does the depth that you've got at that position, as evidenced over the last couple of games, give you the flexibility to kind of take your time with Aiton to make sure he's all the way right? Well, I mean, it's a luxury. Um, we wouldn't put him at risk either way. You know, if we were down and we only had one setter, if he wasn't right, we wouldn't put him back out there. But you know, him, him being who he is, the moment he's ready to play, he'll play. And, uh, and that's one thing I like about D.A., he really loves to compete, and uh, he's looking forward to getting back out there. You know, we had another guy who loves to compete on the show yesterday in Bismack Biombo, and starts the game off against Houston with back-to-back block shots. Again last night, blocking the shots. His ability to protect the rim. You lose JaVel McGee. He Bismack doesn't play in a bunch of games early, but when his number gets called, man, that guy is just always ready. He seems like the consummate professional in the NBA. I said, this is all business, and I, I love and respect him for that because it doesn't matter the circumstances uh, surrounding his his opportunities. Biz will be who he is. He'll he'll execute the game plan. He's going to protect the rim. He's going to run and play with force and speed, uh, and more importantly, he's going to take pride on the defensive end. And and that's something that um, translates every night. You know, it, it, this is a possession game. You know, we play. Um, some really good offensive teams, and if you can get defensive stops, it, it really improve, improves your chances of winning. Now that you've had seven games to evaluate your team, uh, in the trade market, do you feel that there's something different that you need now compared to in the preseason before you had had a seven-game look at your roster? 
I mean, it's it's really really too early. Um, we have a lot of guys that are, you know, continuing to evolve. Uh, we'll continue to monitor it and look at what's best uh, for the team. Um, but right now, I like where we are. All right, James, we appreciate the time. As always, uh, congratulations on the start. We look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, guys. Thanks, James. James Jones joining us here on the Arizona Sports Line on the Burns and Gambo Show. Next up for the Suns, they take on the Portland Trailblazers. Back-to-back games against the Trailblazers on Friday and Saturday night at Footprint Center. Suns 6-1 and one to start the season. When we come back on the Burns and Gambo Show, a parade down Broad Street this weekend. We're rooting for it. Hell, we might even go. That's next on the Burns and Gambo Show. Afternoons on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Not one, not two, not three, not four, five. It swung on, hit him, right field, and the Phillies (laughs) are going to lead it. Yeah, they are. Bryce Harper. And the pitch to Alec Boehm, blasted, left field deep, Alvarez back, he turns, he looks, it's gone, it just clears. Swung on, hit in the air, high and deep, right field, Tucker drifting back to the track, at the wall, he jumps, and it's off the top of the wall, is it a homer? They say yes. Swung on, hit in the air, center field, going back on his McCormick, back toward the wall, and it is gone, off the brick wall. Swung on, hit in the air, deep to left field, it is gone. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that was great. I was waiting for the five. 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 Sorry, Mitch. I thought we were I thought we were on five. the five. We had a we had a Cliff five Kingsbury overs. Kyler Murray moment there where we were not on the same page. I was looking at you, you were looking at me. I'm like, yeah, okay, Mitch has got the five. He's ready to go. Not three. Not four. Not five. Five. Not yeah. six. Easy, LeBron. Easy, LeBron. Easy. It's a counting crows moment right there, right? Looking at you and looking at me. Yes. Mr. Jones. Yes. And we, we were not on the you, same page. Didn't yeah. happen. My yeah. wristband was clearly not big enough to cover uh, my whole clearly, arm. No, seriously. That big-ass wristband you were wearing, it didn't have the play Gambo yelling five from his uh, infamous 28-5 to five rant on there. Down that's, in the barrio. That's, uh, that's, that's all right. Don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> the Phillies, what a game last night. 7 nothing. I'll tell you. Like, I don't have a tie to either one of these teams, but it's fun to root against somebody, and I'm rooting against the Astros like many of you are uh, because I can't stand Bregman and Altuve, and they cheated to win. Obviously, we all know they cheated to win. So seeing the Phillies kick their ass last night, the Phillies have not lost a game at home. Bryce Harper's playing remarkable. They're crushing the ball. Their bullpen's been amazing. They haven't given up a run. In three games, they haven't given up a run the bullpen. Suarez went five innings last night. Four different relievers come in. They don't give up a run. And the Phillies have a chance to go up 3-1 tonight if they can get that win. Now, you're going up against a great pitcher. Javier has been sensational. It's not going to be easy. Christian Javier, opponent's batting average, 170 against them. It's one of the lowest in the live ball era, which is since 1920. One of the five lowest ER, uh, batting averages in the live ball era in a single postseason. He's been that good. He has been good, and he's the last line of defense because i got to imagine an Astros team that hadn't lost a game in the postseason until this World Series. They go down 3-1, knowing that, you know, Wheeler... Have Verlander in the next game against Cindergaard. Oh, yeah, Verlander in his 6.5 ERA in the, World, in the World Series. He's been terrible yeah. in the World Series, you know? Cindergaard, I don't know what they're going to get out of Cindergaard, but you've got another start against Wheeler, who I presume will be better than he was the other night. 
night when he gave up those three doubles in his first four pitches. I the Astros are in trouble. It's not impossible for them to come back from down three one, but they are they are climbing up a big mountain if they can't get it done tonight and even this series up at two games apiece. Now, of course, the big moment last night, Bryce Harper hits the home run. It was the first of the five that you heard right there. And before Alec Baum goes up for his at-bat, Bryce Harper and Alec Baum have a little bit of a conversation. You Harper know? calls him over. Harper, hey, hey, come over here. Come yeah, in. Let's come in, kid. <laughs> I got to tell, tell you something. Whisper something in his ear. Alec Baum, first pitch he sees. Crushes Bob, it. Crushes it. Crushes home it. run. That and the fact that Lance McCullers gave up five home runs last night, and he was responsible for all five. The idea of pitch tipping has been the topic of conversation when it comes to the World Series. What was Lance McCullers doing, if anything, that was giving away what pitches he was throwing, and were the Phillies on it? Were they aware? Here's Bryce Harper after the game when asked what he told Alec Baum when he was whispering in his ear. I think anytime you have information, um, you want to be able to you know, give that to your teammates at any point, so... Anytime I can help my teammates, um, you know, throughout the whole season, we've done that. And, um, yeah. During his mid-game interview, Baum smiled when asked what Bryce Harper told him. Quote, that's between us, close quote. When asked after the game if Harper's words helped him in his at-bat, quote, maybe, close quote. Yeah, he said anything. with a smile. Yeah. I listen, McCullough's just got to take the blame. I mean, you just got to take the blame for it. Pitch tipping, you know, you're the way you hold the glove. You just talked about it. Randy Johnson used to tip all of his pitches. I think it's a knuckle curve with McCullers. There's like a certain way he holds the ball. You know, it's going to be a knuckle curve, and it's the way he holds the glove and where it is. So if they're on, that that's good. I mean, that, now that's 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 advanced scouting that's that's doing your homework that's not banging on a drum with a camera in the outfield focusing on what's the how the ball is in your hand that's Jose just, Altuve wearing no, a little buzzer on his no. chest you know and you're he's, just picking it up based on trends you're picking it up based on listen we've you know we did a lot of scouting on this guy when he holds his glove this way it's gonna be a fastball when he holds it this way it's gonna be a breaking ball and so they crushed him they crushed him but here's the bottom line like the Astros didn't score a run they had five hits the entire game they didn't score one run you can say anything you want. I mean, they just their offense was against four against five different pitchers, Suarez and four relievers. They didn't get a single run. So the Astros offense really struggling right now. Now you got Javier tonight against Nola, and then you'll have Verlander against Syndergaard in the next two. Um, so like they've you know they they still got a chance. Here. I mean, their best pitchers pitching tonight. Yeah, and then they've got to find something out of Verlander to to get him out of this jinx of the World Series. And they'll be okay. But if the Phillies win this one tonight, I expect Nola's going to be a lot better tonight. Then I that 3-3-1, three, three, they're, they're in complete control. They're in complete thing. control. Not, uh, again, not not doable, right? It's it's possible to come back from 3-1. Sure. It's not it's like happened, it's, it's, happened it's not like enough. it's 3-0 when you're the New York Yankees and you're playing mm-hmm. the Boston Red Sox back in the day, right? I just like bringing that That's, up. I know, that would still hurt. I'm, I'm sure, it, as it should. Sure. See, that would happen. I would, I would hope it still hurts. It's doable, but I don't know whether they're going to be able to do it or not. And, and one last thing on the tipping pitches, and I'm glad you said what you said. It, it's There's nothing wrong with it. Right, like if not that way, it's not there's that not that way. If the pitcher is doing something to himself, I mean, remember you remember. I mean, it was twenty two years ago, twenty one years ago. Everybody thought Andy Pettit was tipping his pitches in Game Six against the against the Diamondbacks in the World Series. Yeah, they had the center field camera. <laughs> what it was. They totally cheated. No, easy. Yeah, they totally easy. cheated. No, they didn't. Yes, Gonzo. Where's Gonzo? Come yeah, on, totally no, cheated. no, they didn't. There's n- there's nothing cheating 
about if a pitcher is tipping his pitches. And I'm, the, some of the stories I'm reading today almost suggested like Philly was doing something morally questionable, ethically questionable. No, they weren't. No, they weren't. If Lance McCullers is up there telltaling something that he's going to do, I'm rooting for Philly. I, I think most people are. Um, most I people- kind of like Bryce Harper a little bit now. I wasn't a big Bryce Harper guy, but he's playing great. That's you He's know playing what? great. That's to one won me the, over. That's one of the things I've noticed about this World Series, too. Not a lot of people were Bryce Harper fans, and I think this series is starting to swing that perception of him. They thought he was kind of an entitled punk, kind of a cocky, arrogant. He probably, he's still, he still all is. of that stuff. But he's beating but, Houston. <laughs> but there's been something. Wow, there's just something about. I, he's never won a playoff series before this year, right? His postseason numbers weren't special at all. I mean, we think about all the homers, all the stories from when Bryce Harper was a kid coming up, right? Like he's this phenom, he's this can't miss guy, nothing. And and forever we've been, he's got great numbers, don't get me wrong, but in the postseason, he's never done anything special at all, nothing at all. Six home runs this postseason, he's got 12 extra base hits. The Phillies, by the way, they're 17 home runs, that's the most in a single postseason in National League history. But he's leading the way like he's been great like I'm I don't mind rooting for him and and just that whole team right Kyle Schwarber and Hoskins and Marsh and bomb it's a it's an easy team to like 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 I don't dislike the Phillies like I'm fine with them winning it's a it's a good baseball team they fired their manager they came out of nowhere they come all the way back and here they are they were heavy underdog in this right nobody was picking them to win the world not Series. very many people heavy know. underdog to the Astros that are up two one right now yeah and and they've got somebody even pointed out I think it was Ken Rosenthal they're six and zero at home. Yep, uh, they're outscoring opponents forty two fifteen. The Phillies didn't have home field advantage in any series, and yet no. they probably have the best home field advantage in the sport right now. I don't even think they got one against the Cardinals. No, no, they didn't. No, right? they won both the games there. Right, they yeah. won both games there. No, they didn't. But but for a yeah. team that, that that didn't earn the right to have home field advantage, for them to be as good as they've been there yeah. at home but is you know what that does that gives, that gives you a hope for anybody, maybe even the Diamondbacks in the not too distant future. You just got to get in. Now you may not be able to overtake the Dodgers in the in the West, but the Dodgers. I mean, outside of the. Outside of the the COVID shortened season when they won the World Series, they hadn't won one since the '80s, since like '88, and they spend all this money. The Yankees haven't won one since they beat the Phillies, you know, like 12, 13 years ago. So it 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 often doesn't matter how much money you spend. Week nine of Bix Picks is underway. Text the word "pick" to six twenty six twenty. Sign up and compete against Dan Bickley for your chance at the grand prize seventy five inch TV, courtesy of Corona Extra. Weekly winners. Will receive an NFL jersey of their choice and a fifty dollars gift card to Cold Beers and Cheeseburgers. Text the word "pick" to six twenty six twenty to enter. Cardinal injury woes continue. The Suns had a big win. A lot of other news we haven't even gotten to yet. The four o'clock reset is next on the Burns and Gambo Show here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.